I have a message this morning. A very simple message. In simplicity, it's called the 21st century church. God gave me this message three weeks ago for another church that I preached in. And I was asking God for another message for GT. And somehow, it is this message still. What actually prompted me to continue with this message was last Sunday I was here and Pastor Michael preached from Matthew chapter 7. I was praying that he will not carry on and completely utilize the entire message that I have. Then I won't be here this, this morning. Matthew chapter 7, he was talking about the wide gate and the narrow gate, the road less traveled. But if you walk through the, the chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 7 right through towards the end, at verse 24, Jesus gave everything that he had in the discourse on the Servant of the Mount from chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And right towards the end, he said this. Therefore, if anyone hears this saying of mine, I will liken him to be a wise man who built his house on the rock. Anyone who hears this saying of mine and do what you hear, then you are a wise man. This sermon is a very simple sermon. It's not just about hearing. It's about doing. Hallelujah. It is about the doing part that we miss out. Because I know for a fact, over the last two and a half years, many have listened to more than 100 messages. All over YouTube, all over the world, you have circled the globe three, four times. But that's just about the hearing. Now we are talking about the doing. And this morning, this is the message that will emphasize on the doing. We need to do what we hear. Otherwise, we are not going to see anything. It's just going to fly over our heads. And the next Sunday will come. The next message will fly over your heads and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. We need to get it right into our hearts, into our spirit man, so that it will re resonate and it will remind us it's about the doing. So coming to this entire chapter, this chapter of Mark chapter 16, I would like to invite all of you to stand and read with me what Jesus said in these few verses. Reading from Mark chapter 16. Verse 15 to verse 18. Let's read together. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Amen. Thank you. God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated in His wonderful presence. 
I'm sure you have read this passage over and over again. And many times uh, you have heard preachers preaching from this. This is the Great Commission. But when you talk about the 21st century church that we are in, in this century, we need to turn back the clock to the first century church, the church that Jesus was starting in this book of Mark that you just read. This was the first century church and this was the commission by Jesus to them. And he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They took that commandment, they believed it, and they went. They really went. If you read the accounts of the book of Acts, you will know that they really took every word that Jesus said and they lived it out in their lives. They were meeting together. They were going from house to house. They were breaking bread together. They were praying for the sick and they were healed. They were laying hands on those who were possessed and they were delivered. They were doing all this that Jesus says that they will do. And more important, they were all baptized and they spoke in new tongues. That's the heavenly language. But what has happened? 21st century church, struggling. Struggling. This morning, I'm here to bring you that message. We don't have to struggle. Something is going to change. Do you know what day is today? Today is the 9th of September, 9-11. You remember in 2001 what happened on this day, 2001, in the state of New York? A plane crashed into the building, the building caught fire, and the entire tower collapsed. The fire was so hot because of the explosion that the metals that were holding up the building could not take the heat, and it just crumpled and fell. I'm saying to you, 9-11 is today. GT, today is 9-11. There is going to be a fire that will start in this church. It's called the holy fire, a fire that will refine, a fire that will change, a fire that will transform, a fire that will heal, a fire that will deliver, a fire that will set the captives free. Do you believe this? Amen. Give the Lord a lovely clap of it. Let him hear the agreement that we have. So that God will begin to lift up His mighty hands and look down on this church. There must be change. There must be something new that God will do. Because this is a new season and God is doing a new thing. I have never seen so much of musical equipment. I just discovered there's one at the back here. I know the ones in front. I see equipment everywhere. It's a new thing. It sounds nicer now. It sounds more solid. There is a sound that is going on, the Bible says. There's a sound that's above the mulberry trees. Do you hear it? The angels of the Lord are walking above the sound. The sound of people worshipping God in spirit and in truth will bring down the presence of God and the host of angels will come. There will be a sound. It always has to be a sound. But what are the sounds you are hearing today? The sounds of your ringtone. Oops. 
Paul says this. We are on a journey. First of all, you and I must realize we have a destination. Turn to your neighbor and say, destination. This is not a destination where you go to Mata Fair and book a flight ticket to Bangkok, to Phuket, or to Langkawi. This destination is different. This destination is eternal. You have a destination, I have a destination, and that destination is called heaven-bound. You and I, we are heaven-bound. All those online, you may want to type this into your chat and say, I am heaven-bound. Amen. That's our, our destination. And that destination determines today what we do for Jesus. Next, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, I have a target. The word is target. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. That was his target. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. And keep the faith. He said, finish the race, not win the race. There's a difference between finishing and winning. There's a difference between completing a race and competing in a race. But these days, I find, because I have preached over many churches the last 14 years, I find some churches are competing. They are not completing the race. They compete to sing louder so that they can get the attention of the pastor. They compete for positions. They trample over one another so that they can achieve their ultimate goal of that position. Churches are competing with one another. The perception of some churches is that you are judged by the size and the number that is in your congregation. The perception is that the more you have in your church, the more successful you are. Is that right? Praise God for wise members in GT. Hallelujah. Not necessary if a big church, you are a successful church. I know of big churches where the pastors have gone to jail. I know of big churches where they have been deregistered by the registrar of societies. That's a fact. So not necessary big churches are successful. We are not here to compete. We are here to complete a race. Amen. The thing that's holding us back is that we are still waiting. We are all waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting for Jesus to appear. Because, Pastor, you know uh, Isaiah chapter 42, 40 verse 31 say, uh, they that wait on the Lord, no, wait, no. So therefore, uh, you ask me to serve, you ask me to do this, do that, I will have to wait on the Lord. I have to pray and ask whether it's God's will. So we keep waiting. Now, I like this illustration that Pastor Vincent shared many years ago. Maybe he's watching online, I hope. <laughs> Credit to him. Praise the Lord. I remember this, waiting in that Context is not a passive word, it's an active word. 
It's like a waiter or waitress in a restaurant. When you walk in, do they just stand there like a piece of wood while you sit down and wait to be served? No, the waiter or the waitress will wait on you to take your orders, to serve food, to serve drinks, to serve the, the plates and all. So they, it is it's a doing thing, it's an active thing. But how did we ever get to believe that we are waiting? Simply because we want to find an excuse not to serve, not to do. That's one of the reasons. There could be many other reasons. But I, I'm not going into that area. I'm saying Jesus says what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, my Bible says creature. No? Why, why creature? We are creatures. Ah. We are men and women of God. We are two-legged. We are not four-legged. But I say, take the Bible literally because many years ago in India, when I went there on a mission trip, they took us to a village that had never heard the gospel before. It was a new ground, it was a hard ground, and we were put into the village square, and we preached the gospel, and finally we made an altar call. No one came up. No one. And it was such a waste, I thought, because we traveled so far, we had to endure three tire punctures. Talk about spiritual warfare. We had only one spare tire, but we had three punctures. Only by the grace of God we reached there. And at, at the most crucial time for the altar call, no one turned up. And guess what? We started to, when you are in desperate situation, the only thing is to look up and pray. And guess what? A cow came out from one of the lanes and walked right into the center of the square. A cow, a cow, C-O-W, a creature with four legs, walked right into the center of the square. And this is not any ordinary cow. This is a huge white cow with nice, beautiful lashes. Eyelashes. They're winking at you. And that cow walked in and every one of the villagers, they saw their cow. That cow was used for ceremonial purposes. That cow was their god. That cow was their deity. And that cow came for altar call to bow down at the name of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. And with that, the rest followed. When your gods go to the feet of Jesus, you better follow. And that day, many received the Lord. And months later, we received a report that they started a church in their village. Hallelujah. These signs shall follow you who believe. Are you getting it? I want you to get it in your spirit. These signs shall follow you when you believe. When you're seated here this morning, what is your need? The signs will follow you when you believe what God says. He will do. So now, don't wait. You know, Jesus says, go. You know, since the time we were saved, that was a long time ago, until now, God is still waiting. Still waiting for us. 
Jesus asking us to go, but we are waiting. God is waiting on us to get up and do something. I have touched your destination. You are heaven bound. You are in a race. Target. Your target is completing the race. It doesn't matter how fast or how slow you run. It's just about completing the race. Fight the good fight. Even though you have fallen by the wayside, even though the, the enemy has come and stolen your peace, stolen your joy, stolen your finances, don't give up. God is not done with us yet. God is not true with us yet. The race is not finished. This is a marathon race. You know, you ask every marathoner, after they run 32 or 33 kilometers, they, they will go through a, a transformation because they will be so exhausted and so tired that they might just collapse. But because of their determination, they call this the second win. And once they get this second win, it is cruise mode. They run on remote. It's automatic. The hands and the legs will just go. The heart will keep pumping. It's just automatic. It's the determination to finish the race. The second win for you could be today. 9-11. If you're fallen by the wayside, if you've given up on things, let me say this. Jesus is able to breathe that wind into your life and resurrect your soul and resurrect your body and cause you to complete the race. Next, change. Change is coming. As you can see, a bit of change is taking place. But this is not it. This is not even the, the tip of it. This is just the beginning. Change is inevitable. In the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verse 7, 8, we hear about the story of Joseph, how God planted him in Egypt because God knew there will come a time, a period where there will be famine throughout the land where they were in, in Canaan land. And they had to go to Egypt and Joseph was there to prepare that place. And God knows way beforehand what is good, going to happen. And he sent Joseph there to prepare. And they went out. And they went in that famine period. They dwelled in that land. And Pharaoh gave favor to Joseph. He was the prime minister. Joseph was very favored by the Pharaoh. But then, change came. Pharaoh died. The Pharaoh that knew Joseph, the Pharaoh that given, gave his trust to uh, Joseph to rule and run the entire country, he died. The new Pharaoh came and they didn't know who Joseph was. So they persecuted. They persecuted the, the Hebrew children. And they cried out to God. And God sent Moses. I'm sure you know this story. Moses took them out from Egypt, out from the land of bondage, showed them miracles, showed them everything in the wilderness, water coming out from the rock. And God said, go to that mountain to worship me. And then you can go into the promised land. But as the story unfolds, they complain and mumble, and God prolonged that. And that generation did not get in. The new generation, the new generation, are you the old generation or the new generation? The reason you are here, you are the new generation. Many have left in the old generation. They thought there was better uh, 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 onions and garlic over that side. Now, I'm not going to say any church in particular. 
They thought that there would be grass that's greener over that side. So they left. But you stuck on. You believe God. And you are here today. You are the new generation. Amen. They followed Joshua and they went into the promised land. That's change. Every time there is a change, something new will happen. Because the Bible says, unless the seed fall into the ground and be buried, no new growth will come. Am I right? This is the painful part. You know it, but you don't want to say it. There must be some sacrifice. There must be some sacrifice for change. Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that Uzziah died, King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. In the year King Uzziah died, in the year a natural, a, a normal king, a human king died, Isaiah saw Jesus, saw him high and lifted up. My question is, who is the king in our lives today? Who is the king? I pray it's Jesus. Is Jesus sharing our heart with something else, with another smaller king? Or is Jesus the complete king in our lives? I leave it to you to decide today. As I said, today is 9-11. There's going to be a fire. The fire is when we make the right choices. This is the fire of God. Change is inevitable. But change will only come when we remove the king of our lives. The king could be anything materialistic. The king could be uh, a career. The king could be anything. The king could even be our children. Our precious son or our precious daughter, way above, idolized way above, and Jesus takes second place. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. I will say this, I'm praying for the glory of the Lord to be here, that you can be witnesses of that glory, and it will fill this place, this house, Jesus is in the house today. Holy Spirit is in the house today. Amen. Change will come. Now, many years ago, there was a, a brother that brought his nephew to our church for prayer meeting, our previous church. And this young boy was a student in RMC, Royal Military College. And he was playing rugby and he had a, a very serious accident where he had a collision in the, in the sport and then uh, his entire kneecap was dislocated and broken. So the doctors did their best, but he could not walk properly. He came with a limp. And that night, like what Jesus says, we laid hands on him and we prayed that he will heal. He went back and that was the last time we heard from him. I never heard from him anymore. We didn't know whether he was healed or not. I didn't know. Three weeks ago, this brother somehow got my telephone number. 
I think maybe you saw on YouTube. Now YouTube are very dangerous. You know? All my past all suddenly coming out. I got friends uh, that I don't want to meet. Uh, you know, This was before I became a Christian. But they keep calling me now. They just can't believe their eyes and they can't believe their ears. I'm standing behind a pulpit. Hallelujah! God is good, amen. And he told me the story about his nephew. He says, Pastor, after that night, he went back. The next morning, something happened and he could walk straight, he could walk normal and he could run. He had a healing from Jesus. That was more than 15 years ago, church. No one told me. But what I tell you is, when you lay hands and pray for the sick, don't worry. Your job is just to lay hands and pray for the sick. The healing comes from Jesus. Amen. If nothing happens today, it's all right. Send the next one. Getting hot here. Last Wednesday night, after the church-wide prayer, I was out at the lobby, foyer area, and this young man, gentleman, well-dressed, looks like an executive, he came wearing the mask and said, Pastor, you recognize me? I said, cannot. And now everybody looks like Zorro to me. <laughs> he told me his name. I still couldn't place the name and where I prayed for him. Then he explained, and he says, two years ago, I prayed for him. Call him out and pray for him. He had this problem. He was having nightmares almost every other night. And in that nightmare, it's the same, same scene. It's the devil holding a book and counting out and uh, uh, announcing all his past sins. He was under torment. He was under condemnation. And every night, he was, every other night, he was having this nightmare. He says, Pastor, that night you prayed for me. You didn't know my situation. I said, oh, I don't know. God knows. God knows. And since then, he says, the nightmare has disappeared. You believe the Bible? You believe that we can cast out demons in the name of Jesus? I don't hear you, GT. Do you believe? Amen. Amen. Now I'm purposely making you say to declare so that your faith will rise. It's not just to hear how loud you can say, but I want you to have your faith to arise today. Hallelujah. Yes, make some noise. Amen. Give God the praise. And lastly, after the change, unity. Unity. Psalms 133, verse 1-3. It says, Now, you may be wondering why God the words, but don't have the words. I don't want to have the words that done intentionally. I want to make eye contact with you. And, and I like to move from east to west, but I'm compelled, not by the Spirit, compelled by the AV, not to move out of this boundary. <laughs> I don't simply walk east to west. The reason I do that is because I want to make eye contact with you. Because why? Your eye is the window to your soul. The Word of God must resonate and go into your soul. Amen. It should not fly over your head. 
But I think I can still see everyone here. Praise the Lord. How good, it says, and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment on the head running down the beard of Aaron right down to the hem of his garment. It is like the morning dew descending from Mount Hermon to the mountains of Zion. And there God commanded a blessing. Amen. That is Psalms. Unity, it is pleasant when we are united. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore, I beseech you, I beseech you this morning, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may show what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God is. Hallelujah. And I ask you today, what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God? What is that will of God that Paul is talking about? Now, homework for you. Go back and read Romans chapter 12, verse 4 onwards. And you will know the perfect will and the acceptable and perfect will of God is unity. We are one in the body. We are one in the spirit. We are saved by the same spirit, baptized into the same spirit, same Lord, same Savior, same God, same Jesus. I must stress here, there are many people preaching other Jesus. There are a lot of Jesus around, but this is the real Jesus. Amen who said, I am the resurrection and the life. So unity is ultimately important. And that is why God is moving this church in that direction. It is unity, not just in the English church, unity in the Chinese church, in the Tamil church, in the Baasa church. Unity because why? The English church may be the head, the Chinese may be the neck, Tamil may be the hands, Baasa may be the legs, young adults may be the fingers. If any of these bodily functions cease to function, the body is okay you. You know why it's okay you? That's why the church is okay you. Because of disunity. Short of one. That's what unity means. And when we are united, I guarantee you, God is duty bound to bring revival. Amen. For two and a half years, we were locked down. And when we came out because of the economic stress and the economic crunch, we, we were in survival mode. GT, let me say this today. 9-11, remember 9-11. You are no more in survival mode. You are in revival mode. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am in revival mode. I will close up now because I get the signal. Musicians are up. Time to close up. I will close with this story. 38 years ago, I sat in an office in Kuala Lumpur reflecting about a very serious event that happened in my life six months prior. I had a very serious accident. I was driving to Malacca 
in a Ford Laser. You know, that time Ford Laser uh, was a Playboy car. Two-door one. Driving very fast, no highway yet, just the old federal trunk road. Reaching Alogaja, straight road into Malacca. At the Alogaja point, somewhere along that way, there were villages and kampongs along the side. And I saw from afar this motorbike that was trying to cut across. But I was travelling at 100 kilometers. At that time, it was 60 miles per hour at that speed. And I, 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 I hung at this motorcyclist to tell, hey, I'm coming in fast. And he held back. And just before I reached him, he tried to cross. He tried to cross. And I saw it. I said, it's finished. I took evasive action and he turned back again. I missed him. But I went over to the other side of the road and an oncoming taxi was coming. I don't know at what speed. And I knew it would be a head-on collision. When you press the brakes, when you slam on the brakes at 60 miles per hour, the car is not going to stop immediately. The momentum is just going to drive the car. And I braced myself, held onto the steering very tightly. And the next few seconds is like a scene from the movies. Slow motion. You see glass flying everywhere. You know, it's like everything is all slow moving like that. And then you're wondering whether you are in this world or in the other world. Those were the split seconds, the moments of your life where it's like vapor. Now here, gone there. And the, the inevitable happened. The crash took place. I got out. I managed to, the, the car was so mangled up and the, the door was jammed. I had to force my way out. I staggered out to the road at the side and I looked at the metal, the rack, the glass, everything. I looked at it and I thought to myself, there is a divine hand in all this because I'm still alive. Amen. There is a divine hand. And I knew that day, I need to seek out this divine person that spared me this life. Of course, I was not alone. I was with my wife, who was my girlfriend. She was still in the car. I went back to see. She was okay. Because why? By the grace of God. God made her sleep. She reclined her, her, her chair right down with her belt. She didn't feel anything. She didn't know anything. When I woke her up, she says, have you reached Malacca? I said almost, almost. A good Samaritan took us to hospital, but before that, I went over to the other side and looked at the taxi driver to see whether he was alive. If he had died, I would be in deep trouble. I looked at him, he had a gash on his head, he was bleeding because he knocked his head at the side and he was slumped to his chair. And I, I looked whether to see if he had this big, huge stomach, you know. Mine is coming out also, I think. <laughs> he had this huge stomach and I could see him breathing. So I, I guess he was still alive. Praise the Lord. God spared his life too. This Samaritan took us to hospital. That was the only place we ended up in Malacca. Not the museum, not any of the sites, but hospital. And we took a taxi back. Now, that's not the, the story that I want to tell you. In that office that day, I was reflecting on this. And as I was thinking about it, this guy comes up to the office, knocked on my door and came in and says, 
he wants to invite me to church. And he told me a lot of things about Jesus. And this gentleman brought me that following Sunday to church in Bangsa. I sat at the back and at the end of the service, I gave my life to Jesus. Amen. And like they say, the rest is history. But it's not history yet. Let me say this. Two months ago, I was preaching in a church in Kuchai Lama. And I went up there and I saw amongst the crowd, small crowd, this same guy. He was there. Because when he took me to the church, two weeks later, he left the church, disappeared, and I didn't know how to contact him and where he went. There was no contact. There was, we never kept in touch. And he just vanished. That Sunday, two months ago, he was there, sitting. I want to say this to you. Why I'm telling you this story? It's not so much about the accident. It's not so much about the saving grace of God. It's about a target. This man was going somewhere else, but when he walked past that office, he was compelled by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit to walk upstairs to see a target. I was the target. And because of his sharing, I went to church, I got saved, and today I'm standing here after 38 years and still preaching the Word of God. Hallelujah. You will never know who your target is and how your target will respond. You will never know. Maybe one of you will eventually speak to someone who will become a pastor one day, who will become a worship leader one day, who will become a cell leader one day. Amen. You will never know because it's not you. It is Jesus. We are just agents doing our 50%. The other 50% is done by Jesus. We don't push this Bible down the throat. You get what I mean? We don't need to say that today you must receive. You don't receive today, you go to hell. No, you don't need to do that. You just need to tell, if you believe today, you will be saved. Simple as that. If you don't believe, you'll be condemned. Finally, in closing, that's now that one was landing, now closing. <laughs> this is the trouble when you give me the mic like this. The reason why I say we need to do that, we, we need to be compelled by the Spirit to share. Because why? Pastor Michael preached last week. Wide is the gate, broad is the way, and many will be on it. Am I not right? I still remember. Do you remember that? And then, narrow is the gate. Difficult is the path that leads to life and few will be there. And that's the reason why, this, Jesus said this, huh? and that's the reason why Jesus asked you and I to go. Go to all the world to preach because why? Many are on the broad way. Many are there. You need to go. Jesus says, you must go. They say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Jesus said, yes, you must follow me. But before you follow me, there are a few things you need to do. Number one, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross and then you follow me. Whoever seeks his own life will lose it. Whoever seeks the life of the gospel will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's how, how serious this is. So I want you this morning carry the cross because Jesus is going to bring a change. Then may, Jesus knows a lot will be on the Broadway. 
And that is why he came up with this. It, it's called the cross. Hallelujah. The cross that will deny Satan the, the satisfaction of having the entire world walk on that Broadway. Because why? Jesus came up with a cross for you and I to carry that cross. Carry that cross into the Broadway and plant that cross right in the middle of the wide gate, right in the center, so that all those coming can see the cross and make a U-turn and go back. Hallelujah! This is the gospel. This is why we preach. And this is why we do what we do. So I urge you this morning, when this happens, I tell you, it won't be a Sunday service. It won't be a Sunday celebration. It will be a week of proclamation of God's faithfulness, of God's mercy, of God's grace, and God's provision. Amen. You will come on Sunday and testify what God has done. Let's stand. Praise the Lord. Now I'm going to make a call for salvation. As I said, 38 years ago, I made a decision and I have never regretted one moment of it. That was a divine encounter. I was given a second chance in life. If you are here today and you want a second chance in life, God is able to do it. Even if you want a third chance in life, God is still able to do it. There is no sin that is too great. There is no mortal sin that is too great that Jesus cannot forgive. He is able to save to the uttermost. So as you are standing here, whoever you are, and those on, online, wherever you may be watching now, I like for you, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, today, not tomorrow, today, 9-11, will be the day where Jesus brings life to you. Not death and destruction, but life. What the devil has been doing all these years has been stealing from you, has been robbing you, but Jesus is here to restore you, to give you life. So if you are that person, very quickly just raise up your hands so I can see you and pray for you. Anyone here, if God is speaking to you, up in the balcony, here in this hall, i just give you a few moments. And for those... If all this, praise the Lord. Oh, sorry. I, okay, so brother, praise the Lord. You know, the soul is the most precious thing that God. The soul is the most precious. That's the greatest miracle for someone to be saved by the power of Jesus. And those of you watching, I pray you don't turn off your TV because we will lead you in a, a, a prayer. And now for those, these last two and a half years have been nerve-wracking, have been depressing in all areas, in all sectors of our life, in the industry. It has affected our walk, it has affected our faith, it has affected everything that we do. And you find that you are cold now. You find that you, you have lost that oom. You find that it's now just pure routine. Going through the motions. Change is coming today. Change is coming today.